Hello from Yerushalayim, I'm Beit Shemesh. It's Binyamin Rose and myself, Gilali Gutenteig, with Mishpachal's home front, a series covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Binyamin. Hello, Gedalia. It's a lively day today. Indeed it is. So well, let's begin with something that's making the news here in Israel, which is a former general head of the National Security Council, I believe, Yorah Island, coming up with some striking comments about Israel's progress in Gaza. And I think it's, t- it's timely because we know so little, now we know a little more. This general gave an interview early in the week saying all the videos and all the clips and all the statistics of this massive bombardment of Gaza. He's urging Israeli decision makers and also the Israeli public to be aware of what he called the Vietnam, the American Vietnam effect, which is that they counted bombs and the amount of ordnance being dropped on Vietnam and as a sign of success, whereas really that was the wrong indicator and it was the body count and it was the Viet Cong ability to count that mattered. And he was saying earlier in the week, four or five days ago, that is not at all clear. We see no signs of Hamas being degraded, their fighting capacity being degraded. But this morning, he's gone out with a series of interviews in which he's saying that we are now seeing that things are changing in the north of Gaza. We are now seeing signs of a collapse. But one of those big ones is we've all seen those videos of these columns of civilians marching south, very dramatic for, uh, images of them marching south under the white flag. Now, there's a number to that, Binyamin. I did not know that. The number they estimate yesterday, and this is based on what they're seeing there on the ground, is 50,000 made their way from North Gaza and South Gaza just yesterday, and it was in the window over there. The discussion there was calling a Nakba scale numbers, meaning this is the Palestinians' word for Nakba disaster, which they used to refer to in 1948. This is what they're saying again now. This is Northern Gaza seems to be emptying out. So that is number one. And number two, General Eiland or Island said that what we're seeing is another sign is uh, the deterioration of Hamas's control mechanism there in the north is that unlike in the first days of the invasion there, in which Hamas was uh, executing tremendously complicated and combined arms operations, if you like, with lots of terrorists emerging, firing from lots of different directions, involving drones, involving lots of different assets. He says now this is much more isolated stuff that is very intense, but it's not as coordinated. And a third sign, says something that we're more aware of, which is the lack of the drastic reduction in the rate of firing, no rocket fire really coming from the north of Gaza. And we've mentioned this before, but this is another sign of deterioration there. Now, but you know, and just the important to note, General Island said we could be within a week or two of hard pushing, we could cause that we could overcome them in the north. But, and this is a big but, where they're a long way from collapse, because it's fair to assume that the big cheeses, the big brass and the head bosses themselves have taken or will take the Gaza metro out, the tunnel network out from the north to the south. And in the south, we've hardly begun touching their capacities. And we don't know, we simply don't know if we have time. What do you make of that, Benyamin? I have a couple of comments. Number one, what Giora Island said about Vietnam and the count of how many bombardments there have been from the air is right on. I remember the Vietnam War era. I'm old enough to have lived through it. And we used to watch the news and we used to talk about every night how hundreds of air raids on Hanoi and Haiphong and Viet Cong positions in South Vietnam. And we would sit there wondering, how could we not have totally annihilated them and defeated them by now? And it's because you can't win just in the air. The Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese won on the ground. And if anything, we should have learned from Vietnam War that you have to have boots on the ground. As far as the second point, here's a major concern. We've been successful in clearing most of the civilians out of the north so that we can destroy the infrastructure there. But as you said, and as your island said, that a lot of them have now headed to the south. And what are we going to do then? 
when we need to clean up the South, the IDF, they're not going to be able to get everyone to go back North because there's nothing back North. It's rubble. So the only option really is to open up the doors in the South through Egypt and get the Palestinian Arabs of Gaza to stay in Egypt for at least a short period of time until we can clean up the South. And unless somehow we can get Egypt to agree to that, and I don't see that happening at this point, there is a possibility that after we're done in the North, we might uh, go home and uh, declare victory, even if it's not a complete victory. I think that's a real fear and a real concern. I know we talk about this almost every day, but I noticed this morning that Tom Knight, the former U.S. ambassador to Israel, basically said that it's only a matter of time until uh, Biden starts to back down because of pressure from within the party. And I've felt this all along just because of the way I follow politics over all the years that we might have had a little longer leash than in previous military campaigns, but it wasn't going to be unlimited. And uh, every day we see more and more. On the other hand, I was heartened. But what I heard last night at the uh, Republican candidates debate, uh, there were two comments I wanted to uh, make specifically. I thought uh, Ron DeSantis was the strongest, where he basically, he really with passion said that you've got to get rid of the butchers. And he told Niyaman and Netanyahu to do that. I thought that was a very strong comment. The second one was from Tim Scott, and it was much more subtle. And a subtlety is uh, one of Tim Scott's traits. But what he basically said is that the Biden administration is practicing diplomacy. And diplomacy, you have to be very careful with because diplomacy can come off as appeasement. And Senator Scott said that you can't appease your enemies. It's just going to result in a disaster. So while there is a time and place for diplomacy, I would also critique uh, the Biden administration that they're working too hard on diplomacy in this Israel-Hamas conflict at too early a stage. And they really need to give Israel more time to end the military threat to us and to the rest of the Middle East and by extrapolation to tame Iran so that they don't take on the U.S. or try to export terror any more than they already do. And then you can start with the diplomacy and say, okay, now let's talk about the end game and see who's going to take care of Gaza and rule Gaza next. But otherwise it's premature. So I thought Senator Scott was right on in that comment. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about something which is making the rounds, which is the kind of troubling aspects of journalism as practiced by big Western media outlets in Gaza. Questions have been asked, and these seem to have originated with Honest Reporting, a media watchdog outlet dealing with Israel and the Middle East conflict, as it's called. And, and the questions, the allegations or the lines of inquiry were inquiry were freelancers for the AP, different outlets like that. How early were they there on October the 7th? They seem to have been in suspiciously well-placed to record for the big world media outlets, Hamas victories and getting into Israel. Were they perhaps tipped off in advance of Hamas's plan? This story is making the rounds and it's based on important to stress that there's no real, there's no allegations that in any way these media outlets were tipped off, you know, the newsrooms knew of anything happening. But what is being said is that there's a few names that appear on the photo credits from those early hours. You know, there's pictures by the captured Israeli tank by an Israeli soldier who's killed, etc. One of the names is Hassan Eslaya, and he was a freelancer worked for the CNN. And then he took pictures of, as I said, the tank and then of infiltrators as they went into Kibbutz Bar Aza. We now know pictures have emerged. He was a good relation with Hamas butcher, Ed Butcher Yichia Senwa. He's got a selfie with him. He also has 600,000 followers on Telegram, this Hassan Eslaya. 
So he's a local media figure and celebrity or whatever influencer, I don't know what they'd call him. So the point is that the news agencies say that it's just our job. Our job is to document graphic scenes and war scenes like this. But the questions that are being asked are, how could they have been there? At what stage did they notify the news agency that they were doing something illegal, like crossing into it as part of an invasion force or going over? Said so some sort of uh, communication, undoubtedly necessary, say honest reporting, before, after, during the attack in order to get the photos published. So, Beyond, what's your take on this and on what's being said? There are definitely going to have to be a commission of inquiry that will look into this after the war. Not only the political angle, not only the political and intelligence failures on our side, but also this needs to be investigated. Also, did certain news agencies have advance notice? And if so, uh, number one, why did Israel? And uh, number two, uh, wasn't there any responsibility and there should have been on the part of the news agencies to inform Israel that something horrible was about to begin? That's something that needs to be looked into. The other point is that, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot more of this because we've heard about the concept of citizen journalists for quite some time now. People who are on the scene of some sort of crime or some sort of event, they take pictures with their cellular phones and they upload it immediately to social media. A lot of these people uh, have a wide range of contacts and uh, immediately it gets sent around and distributed. And a lot of these people are uh, given a lot more credibility than they deserve because they're only taking a snapshot in time of something that's going on. And they're also adding their own bias to the analysis of what happened. We're going to see this more and more. We're going to see this also in the political campaign in 2024 in America, and very likely a political campaign sometime in 2024 here in Israel too, where you'll have all sorts of videos made up by AI. Uh, artificial intelligence, and it's going to be very difficult for people to discriminate between what's real and what's fake. So we're really going to have to keep our antenna up and uh, we're going to have to learn uh, techniques to separate the fact from the fiction. You know what? I think that it could go beyond the kind of concerns with system journalism. I think regardless of what we don't know at the moment, what they did or didn't know, I think there's a wider context in which you're operating. And what I'd say at the very least is highlights the unusually unprofessional way that media outlets handle what goes on in the Gaza Strip. I think it's long been obvious, it's fair to say, that the journalism in Gaza, as it understood elsewhere, you know, independent and professional, is impossible. Simple reason, you can't broadcast from there unless you tow the Hamas line. Journalists are scared and they can't operate there because of the people who are in charge. We know they censor themselves. And to be honest, Benjamin, who wouldn't? Who wants to have written on their gravestone that they died for the sake of a CNN news report? And I think that's it. In other words, we know they're not independent. What I take away from this, I think it's high time that Israel's allies in Congress and elsewhere go on the offensive and declare they simply won't treat West news reports originating from Gaza-based sources as credible. It's not credible even as, as questions. And when we know there's a concept of Hollywood, you know, the Palestinian tendency to use media to just to fake stuff uh, about Israel. And I'd add for another factor, what I think we should call Hamas maths, we know Based on a few weeks ago, the infamous hospital bombing, which was alleged that Israel leveled this hospital, killed 500 people there. According to European reports, it was less than 50 later, or even, even perhaps even less than that. We know, therefore, they exaggerate. Hamas maths means they exaggerate for by a factor of 10, right, at any given time. So when, if, for example, yesterday, we saw on major news, or I haven't seen different news outlets, we say this, the Hamas-run medical health service says that there's been 10,000 deaths. And then they go on to ask questions based on that. 
it's not credible anymore just to say that with a disclaimer that it comes from the Hamas run health ministry, because it should be incumbent on these news outlets to say that given the history, we know this is bound to be vastly exaggerated. So I think this is yet another thing that's calling for a paradigm shift in how Israel's allies should simply refuse to engage with what I think is a parody of journalism. You have to convince the New York Times and CNN and the Washington Post of that. And then uh, not to mention several outlets in uh, England, including the BBC and the Guardian, et cetera. These are big media outlets that people rely on and still trust. And these are the ones who have to be told and uh, we have to hold their feet to the fire also. Correct. Now, Binyamin, can I provide a neat kind of segue into the end of the week over here and our bright spot, I think we can combine bright spot, something looking forward, which is that there's an opportunity to hold people's feet to the fire and an opportunity to raise the awareness of what Ezra's going through on the ground. I think next week in Washington, it's going to be a big march backing Israel and coming from the Conference of Presidents and the Orthodox Union. And for the first time, I think Aguda has given the go-ahead, said that people should be you know, encouraging people to attend as well, which is a very big thing, given all the organizational uh, history over there. And I think it's a time, I certainly wish I could be there. I think it's administrations with the White House comprised of people. And when they see that the protests outside their gates are consistently big pro-Palestinian protests, very organized, very vocal, and very agitated, we know that that has an effect on how they perceive the reality of what's going on here in Israel. And I would contend that it's the, the fact that the community there is stepping up and saying, we're going to have a physical presence out there. We're going to sh- speak up for Israel. It's not meant to make the Jewish community feel good. This is not a big physical event. What it is, is an opportunity to change minds there in Washington. If they see a large, large, large crowd out there who really care. So it reminds them the sunny on the other side. So I would say the bright spot is that this is finally happening. And the bright spot is that it seems to have crossed deep into Mishpacha readership territory as well. And I would encourage all those who can to, to attend in my place. You can say, I sent you. Binyamin, I wish you a good Shabbos. Wish all our listeners good Shabbos as well. Very early hit, good news of the next few days. 